Welcome to the It Crowd Podcast, where technology leaders converge with the boardroom elite. In this digital hub, the pulse of cybersecurity, mobility, managed services, and networking comes alive. Here, innovators and decision makers unite, forging a dynamic dialogue for tomorrow's success. So whether you're a tech aficionado or a C-suite strategist, this is your platform. Join host Richard Rodriguez and Josh Lowry as they bridge these worlds, curating insights and fostering a collaborative dialogue. The It Crowd podcast is proudly brought to you by the following sponsors. ClearSync Solutions, unifying your technology solutions with simplicity. From M&A integration to global connectivity, cybersecurity to managed services, we're your comprehensive partner aligning your business goals with technology for energy, oil and gas, and financial service firms. Trust our proven track record. ClearSync Solutions, one ClearSync, countless possibilities. eCentire. The authority in managed detection and response protects the critical data and applications of our customers from the known and unknown cyber threats by providing exposure management, managed detection and response, as well as incident response services designed to build your organization's cyber resilience and prevent business disruptions. By combining open XDR platform technology, 24-7 threat hunting, and proven security operation leadership, eCentire's award-winning MDR services and team of experts help organize organizations anticipate, withstand, and recover from cyber attacks. Evolve IP. Evolve IP is the only provider that can start with a single remote hybrid workforce solution and grow the account into a multi-solution contract. Evolve IP delivers integrated work anywhere technologies that enable IT departments to do more with less by getting them out of the PC, BBX, and VPN business. By leveraging our underlying providers, Microsoft, Cisco, VMware, and Citrix, Evolve IP offers services in four categories. Microsoft Teams Direct Routing, Virtual Desktop, Virtual Servers, Disaster Recovery, Backup as a Service, and O365 Azure. Contract Centers, Customer Experience, Leveraging Data as a Service, and any CCAS provider without a VPN or corporate-owned PC. Put us up against any standalone Microsoft Teams, Cisco WebEx, VDI-Data-as-a-Service, VCast, or CCAST vendor. You'll find that Evolve IP offers the best support, fully optimized solutions, and the ability to consistently grow the account so you can make more money. Welcome to the It Crowd Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming to you live from the Upright Digital Podcast Studio in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as usual, with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Richard Rodriguez. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you, Josh? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I uh, we are we're gonna have a great podcast. And normally we talk to each other for a little bit before the podcast. But I had a great moment this morning on my way into the office. Um, you know, the it crowd is is exploding. It's it's now the officially the fastest growing podcast we've ever produced, uh, which is fantastic. And you know, I kind of put out a post. I guess last week saying that one of the ones that we did at Corvicon was really impactful, which it, it was. was. And then yesterday we launched a post that kind of announcing that we've reached the top 1% in business podcasts, which is a pretty cool deal. And one of uh, a friend of ours, a friend of the program and a guest we've had on um, another one of our programs called the Oil Fill 360. He emails me and he said, Hey, he goes, uh, <laughs> he says my, nephew who's 12 years old lives in oklahoma um listens to every one of your podcasts and is is now started with the 0360 and has jumped over to 
uh, the id crowd. And he loves them. And he says, his name's Roman. So Roman, I'm giving you a shout out, 12-year-old Oklahoma Roman right now. And he says he wants to come on a podcast and tell you which ones are the best. <laughs> so which ones are the best we've ever had, the best guests we've ever had, and the best. So apparently this young man is uh, just really ahead of his time maturity-wise because I have a 12-year-old son, and I promise you he's not listening to oil-filled podcasts. He's finding a shoe the other day. like you, Yeah, one back. shoe, right? He's lost one shoe. He can't find the other one. This kid is listening to oil-filled podcasts. So I just was reading this, and I texted him back. I said, absolutely. I said, here's my phone number. Give it to me. So... Um, I'm, I'm not sure I could handle any criticism though, but from a 12 year old, it might totally destroy me. You're like, Josh, you're doing a great job, but here's where you need some, some improvement. Here's where you need to get better. Yeah, exactly. But isn't that great? We have, it is. we are helping this next generation starting early. And that's what we like to do. That's, that's part of the whole reason, right? I mean, we love this industry. We've always been proponents of this industry right. and putting it together with it just makes sense. And I, it's amazing. The younger generation. So I just wanted to ask who is in charge of your fan club? Because I've got the new president of mine. His name's Roman, and he's 12, and he's uh, running my fan club. So I'm assuming that you have somebody in charge of yours. Uh, I would say it's probably Caitlin and Lauren. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they keep the social going. So yeah, they're doing a great will, job. Uh, we, we, we'll shout out those two. Well, so young Roman, good luck to you in school. We heard you want to go into the oil field as well. So thank you for listening. And uh, I hope that uh, you appreciate, I, we appreciate it. So I just hope you appreciate us kind of telling you thank you on this this podcast and others. And we're certainly going to give you a call, but uh, to your uncle for sending the email, that was kind of a fun deal today. So uh, on that note, we'll get into some real business here, but uh, it, it's it's kind of a fun thing to do. And this, this guest we're having today, he was also a guest on one of our other podcasts. So uh, why don't you do us a favor and introduce today's special guest. So for our, our IT listeners that aren't in oil and gas, um, <clears throat> very honored today. Uh, our guest is a legend in the industry, uh, Peter Bernard, current chairman and CEO of Datagration. How are you, Peter? I'm doing well, thank you. Appreciate being here. Yeah. You no. kind of shook your head like you don't believe your legendary status. I don't know about status. this legend thing. You know, I, I, I appreciate the fact that some people may know me and I've been around for a while. Sometimes legend is synonymous with being older, which I am <laughs> older. I, I completely admit it. I, I get told not to say my age, but I'm, I'm happy to say I'm 62, but love to keep up in the IT world, the technology world, read and continue to try to grow and learn uh, in spite of uh, growing older. Yeah. Well, you you have been around a while, and you've got a there's, but you're leaving behind a path or a a trail, I should say. Of, I think the legendary status would come from there's a lot of people like the Romans of the world. There's you know there was another Roman you know 20 years ago that started out 12, and now he's 32, and he's he was paying attention to you along the way, and you know you influenced his life along the way. I know this because I I know these people. I'm one of these people. Uh, we have lots of friends that are these people, and there's a there's a lot of the people that would look up to a Peter Bernard and say, you know, this guy really impacted my life. And I, I know guys and girls along the way that would, would say this. So, you know, look, it's it's tough to accept these types of compliments, but the reality is the oil field has been better served because of your participation. And it is fun to have you both in our, you know, the oil field 360 world and then being able to float into the digital and the technology side. And, you know, in some ways it is unique to be able to say, look, I'm not 22 years old, I'm 62 years old and I can, talk the talk with both tech and real world uh, experience. And that that accent you have is is not Houston based. Where, where are you from and how'd you get started? If you don't mind, give us a little uh, Yeah, background. thank you. And, and look, appreciate that introduction. 
and appreciate the opportunity to continue to help and support the industry. So uh, born and raised in South Louisiana, uh, went to University of Louisiana of Lafayette, graduated petroleum engineering in uh, 1984, uh, worked in the industry 25 years at Halliburton, uh, had a great, fantastic career, was president and CEO of Landmark Graphics while I was at Halliburton uh, for two-year stint. Uh, went out into the private equity world from there and really dove into a lot of tech investments, uh, trying to help others look at how they put their money to work in unique technologies, both from software technology to all-field technology. Uh, had the opportunity to start the company I'm in now and buy this company from an Austrian-based technology provider uh, called Datagration. And we've had the company for three and a half years, have had a fantastic run. We're a global software company, really driving to change the industry, both in the IT, machine learning world, and really helping to make our industry better equipped for the future around the application of data and technology for producing oil and gas wells better in a simple way. So one of the things that I've always, I'm, I've always admired is, and I'm curious more on you know, how did you develop that that kind of appetite for technology? Because, you know, looking through your history, Landmark was Landmark was huge at the time and, and what it did to the industry and what it brought to the industry. But you've continued down that path with all of these new technologies. And kind of, how do you stay on that cutting edge? And, how, you know, is that just a curiosity you've always had? or it, it I, I think curiosity is one of the words. It's just something I've always wanted to learn from others, learn from or pick up the right technology that's cutting edge, that's leading, that can be applied. Uh, I like to see technology applied to change and how I could learn more around that application. So it's something I've always been a study of, curious. Uh, I never can sit still. I'm driven to, to learn and hopefully uh, help to educate others or help to at least bring whatever knowledge I have to help people apply that new technology or whatever uh, to do better. I, 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 this is written in my notes and even highlighted, but it really didn't click to me that you guys started this in May of, 20 of 2020. Right at the beginning of COVID. Yes. So it's, it's sort of when you look back at it in retrospect, uh, would we have done it the same way? Probably not. Uh, do you start a company right at the beginning of COVID? No one knew what COVID was. Uh, we were fortunate to have people who were committed and driven no matter what happened. Uh, we stood the company up. We didn't have an office for the first 16 months. So we never even wow. met as a collective group for 16 months. We wow. went from nine employees to 36 employees, all working remotely from the beginning. That's crazy. So looking back on it, it was a challenge. And imagine you're trying to sell oil field, digitized technology right. to a group that has $30 oil and that people aren't even coming to the office anymore. Yeah. So the first 16, 18 months was a hell of a challenge. When we closed our first large deal, which we were very excited to do, uh, it, it was a milestone considering this was all done in startup of COVID. We converted a on-premise platform at that time to a full Azure and AWS cloud-ready technology, which is unheard of. We were both doing both. Right. We eventually leaned into the Azure world because it, it brought better tools and better application potential. But we did all of that literally in the 18-month period of time, wow. all remotely. We finally moved into the old Marathon Towers. Uh, we've been there about a year, not quite two years. Uh, but before that, we were all working remotely. <laughs> 
that is just i mean the timing of it everything and the and the almost the perseverance of it right i mean you guys obviously had this vision you knew it was going to work but being able to stay that course because i'm sure during that time it was like um, well was i'm i'm also wondering if the downturn didn't help speed you up a little bit just because there was you know look that the downturn brought on so much change. My, you, you mentioned $30 oil. We could also talk about minus $30 oil the month prior to that. Mm-hmm. And you know, as this happened, there was so much need for change, efficiencies, technologies. Did, were, they, were you finding an audience that was like, hey, what is this? We'll take a look at it. Or were people like, eh, not interested at all? What kind of audience was were you looking at in that it, summer it, there? It, or, in the beginning, it was very difficult. You had people who would take a team's call, but was apprehensive to adopt something as game-changing as what we offered. They were happy to do what they keep doing. They didn't want to change. They were challenged to think of, wow, how do I do this in a remote environment? How do I stand everything up? So while you're correct, it would have been great to have already had our technology in place because they could have really utilized it in a better way, but to get them to adapt to it and adopt to it uh, at the time when they're working remotely themselves for the first was really time ever. A, was really a big leap for the first time ever was mm-hmm. really a big leap plus the whole way we we manage data within the petrovisor application is really quite unique and the way we create a unified data model was really hard for people to believe was true i'll, I'll digress and say for the first year when i would make presentations or talk to clients i would ask them to suspend disbelief at what i'm about to tell them to be true because the moment I would tell them what we're capable of doing with the platform, they would say, it's not possible, Peter. No one could do that. No one's ever done it before, ever. And the more I heard that, the more excited I got about it because I knew we could do it Mm -hmm. and I knew we could deliver it. But that was one of the unique challenges of getting people to believe we could truly do what we did and to get them to adopt and change. So unfortunately, I wish wish they would have said, wow, that's great. Let's do it. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. So let me ask you a follow-up on that. When you say the too good to be true, is this because the industry has not seen it before? Is this because the technologies didn't exist for that to happen? Like, why why was it so good to be true? Is the software just that good? Or or is it a convergence of a lot of things at one time happening that they just hadn't seen? They, it's, it's never been done before. Okay. Okay, so when you are telling or trying to sell to someone something that any of the majors have never created or talked about doing first and full stop. And so the uniqueness of what a unified data model brings and that we bring is, is, is truly that game changing. It is truly that different and it's hard for you to grasp it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell us a quick story real quick, which, which puts a big smile on my face. About four or five weeks ago, uh, we had made many, many presentations. I was presenting to a major national law company. There was 19 people on the call. It was a 6 a.m. call. You can imagine it was a Middle East call. And I made a presentation, it was 19 of them. And it was somewhat quiet. You know, a lot of these teams call, get, get to be that way. And uh, towards the end, we started getting good questions or whatever. And when the, when the call ended, something that's never happened before to the degree that I had it happen, someone said, I have to tell you this. He said, I've been in this industry for 25 years. He said, I've seen 22 different platform and platform situations. I've, I've had companies present to me the last three or four years. He says, not one of them has ever presented or shown to me what you just did in a truly commercial software platform out of the box ever. He said, you beat all 22 of them handily. He said, and you did it an hour and a half and typically they've taken days to try to explain it mm-hmm. to me. That gets me really excited. Yeah. 
That gets me motivated yeah. in the morning. He said, but where have you been? Yeah. We haven't seen this before. No one's ever tried to do it this way before. And so that's, to your answer, it's a long answer, but it sort of resonates to the fact that people have never built or seen what we've built and apply it to their businesses today. Can you give the audience a, a, just a quick synopsis or however sure. you like to tell us what Petrovisor is? So when you think about multiple different dis data sources that exist within oil and gas companies, and let's, let's talk about predominantly around production, but also around mapping, mapping features, how you display type data. There's hundreds of different sources. I mean, we connect 140 different data sources to the platform today. And essentially we take key data elements, we call them signals, and we bring them into the platform to be able to characterize oil and gas production, well locations, reservoir locations, platform locations. We, and we do it with a spin on financials. So we connect to any accounting package as well whether it's SAP or JD Edwards, or, or it doesn't matter. Sure. We've connected to Quorum, P2, all of the above. We bring all of that data into the unified data model. And when we do that, we're allowed to run sophisticated engineering and machine learning applications against that data. And we do it where it's repeated every day through what we have as a data abstraction architecture. Now I get that gets us sort of complicated, but simply put, we will go and ping the source of the data every day and say, hey, do you have any new data? And if you have new data, give it to me, and I'm gonna put it in the unified data model, and then I'm gonna run calculations against that data. So you say, what calculations? How much is a well producing? What, what activity should I perform on that well today? How much did it cost me to produce that barrel of oil that day? All of these are generated automatically. What's the decline of the well? Is that well gonna go down? Mm -hmm. How does the artificial lift system work? Is it working properly? Is it ESPs working right? Is the rod pump working right? All of that data that is needed to make that uh, decision or help push a decision out is all brought in automatically, put into the model, and is pushed out to everyone on an Azure cloud with a Power BI front end. That's sort of my two minute version. That's a great explanation, actually. Thank you. I, I have one question real, yeah, yeah. before you yeah. jump. Are you primarily E&P focused or do you work with any of the oil field service companies? Or? So we're, we're E&P focused right now, but we're also in ESG, not to overspin it. So we're in five different verticals. Okay. And we had that same, the beauty of the data model and the beauty of the UDM allows us to take that same basis to go out to ESG. So we, we have a fantastic platform we're doing for our local Austin company called TDS who'd be happy for me to mention their name, yeah. who leverages the technology to do diversion around waste management. And they track the greenhouse gas reduction footprint for all of the ESG they do for both recycling and diversion for all the Austin City customers. They have 60, 92 different public companies they pick up for from Apple to SpaceX. And they go back and tell them, this is your greenhouse gas footprint decrease as a result of us doing diversion every day when we pick up your trash. Heck, they do ISD school district. Mm -hmm. They do it to the, down to the classroom level, all in Equivisor, which is the sister platform, the Petrovisor, utilizing the same core unified data model technology. Hmm. Well, I have a new customer for you off air that has just come to mind. That's why I asked that. Sure. Okay, great. See this, you've already won. Good. This podcast just got even better for you. And I told you this is going to be the best one you've ever done. Thank so you. Don't tell our friend David this or he'll get upset. But. <laughs> no, but I love that because our industry has always been historically great at collecting data. But then everybody's like, what do I do with it? Right. 
And it's funny that they've always struggled and it's always kind of been that, that, you know, that kind of pie in the sky. Oh, if only I could get this, but it's there. And it's getting that message out that it is there. And so when you talk to not only, not only for the data integration platform, but in general, you know, what would you tell other, you know, C-suite leaders, executive leaders that historically in our industry have been hesitant to adopt new technologies? You know, when you, when you just talk to them, you know, as, as friends, as colleagues, and you know, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you communicate that, that to take that risk? Well, it's, uh, it's always interesting because most all of the business we've closed has been with the C-suite because that's the group that has recognized the value of what we can create to truly digitize a company. So that's the first thing I try to tell them is that when, when they want to leverage the data that they've had that historically they haven't, uh, the only way they're going to be able to do that is to pull it together in a system that's leveraging the information, leveraging the data, and then pushing it back to their employees in a more systematic way. Mm-hmm. So they, they see that. We also talk about inefficiencies that are gained by having 10 people do a problem that the software could technically do. Right. And so you try to drive that home within the organizations. It's still a big leap for a lot of them because they trust the IT groups, they trust the IT departments to uh, leverage the people they have, leverage their costs, leverage the technologies or whatever in a better way. And it's tough for them to change, but but literally every transaction we have, and we've done them globally, we have projects all over the world, uh, have all been done primarily with the C-suites mm-hmm. that see the digitization and the need to want to change and see the value they're, they're going to get from it. Good. Well, yeah, because, <clears throat> I mean, for, for lack of a better term, selling it that way has much more of an impact because if you were selling if you were selling down up the other way everybody right away is like well how's that going to impact my group how's exactly. that going to impact my job how's that going to and you know the investment the budget that I get all those things come into play versus what you, the way that you guys are approaching it so. you're, you're absolutely correct so the the challenge you face is when you walk into the head of production and you say by the way uh, we're going to give you a dashboard and a full systematic way of looking at all the accounting data, all your production data, all tied to declines, all t- tied to operational efficiencies. The first thing they say is, well, wait, I got to get the accounting department involved. Wait, I've got to get the right. IT department involved. Wait, that data, I only have part of that data. You have to get the, you know. And so when you start, it, it, invariably, it always comes back to a single group within a company like production or operations or reservoir can make that decision. It always has to be brought up. So we've taken it to that level now. And so it's CEO, CTO, CO, CIO decisions typically, but invariably it always falls back to the top person Mm -hmm. uh, to to drive that decision. And something I want to go back real quick, Richard, on data. Uh, You know, one, one of my pet peeves, I guess, is that a lot of companies believe just because I have a data warehouse or data lake, it solved all my problems. And so, look, it's great to have the data systematized and organized, but storing it in a lake doesn't do you any good. It just becomes a place by which uh, things get stacked up and and, and trying to figure out how to get lost and how do you check it out? How do you leverage it? How do you use it? That's something we do and amplify it to a whole different level. It's good to have it, but you don't have to have it to be able to leverage the technology I'm describing, either on ESG or on traditional E&P side. Well, taking it even further, right? Because 
you know, within the industry, all the acquisitions that happened, you know, historically, it was always, well, we have to get on the same platform. Well, we have to go and we have to do the, well, we have to clean up this day. Well, that's all taken care of. That's, that's gone now with what you guys are doing. And that is, that is an operational efficiency that's overnight. You don't have to wait years to integrate into one system anymore. That that's absolutely correct. And that's what we try to tell people. Look, if you've got it in a data lake, you've got it set up in a Snowflake instance or Databricks, great. We just amplify that connectivity because those are not able to do repetitive calculations, push it out to the cloud in the form that we do or do any of those things. So if you have it, great, but most don't because it's an expensive endeavor, but we encourage to get it done. That's, That's one of the things that we force within our organization is cleaning up data. Creating a master data record, you'd be surprised oh. at how many companies don't have master oh, data records. I know. And, and, and I won't say <laughs> all of them, but but a, a, a significant yes. number. Yes. And so at the end of the day, people will say, well, you could create them. I said, yes, we can. It, that, that's, that's what we do systematically mm-hmm. because we won't run a calculation unless we know the data's right. Mm-hmm. And our system allows us to scrub the data, uh, to use some fuzzy logic to make sure that the data's in it is correct, do a rematch, and then push the correct answers out. You know, I, th- I thought where he was going to go with that question, what advice would you give? It It made me think of like, obviously I'm over-caffeinated on espresso <laughs> in mid-afternoon here, um, which is fine. But, you know, you're, you've got a lot of energy. And I'm wondering, because this is your, your big personality, and I'm wondering, 20 years ago, were you thinking technology like this? Uh, you know, were you, was your mind thinking like, I've got to be on the forefront of technology this, this entire time, and this is just an evolution of where you've always been going? At, at the risk of being immodest, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I like to think about the first real-time drilling applications that we were thinking through at Sperry Sun 20 years ago at Halliburton. Uh, and combining that with Landmark and creating a whole visual around how you drilled mm-hmm. remotely and having wells re- drilled remotely, we were talking about and doing back then on a small scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love to look at new technology. I always knew you, you, you have to start. We're, we're slow to adopt, but you always have we to put... We oil and gas. We oil. all and gas. When mm-hmm. I say we, the collective group of uh, all of the ENP side of the house, okay. both the geologic side, reservoir side, production side, everyone, the collective we has always been slower to adopt and adopt and they don't want to change. But I've always tried to push new technology because I get excited about it. I like new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the very good friends of mine who's been on this podcast before is David Wesson. Uh, David Wesson mm-hmm. and I are very good friends known each other for 35, 36 years, way back when we were doing tubing conveyed, perforating designs. David would fly in. I would I would come up with an idea of how to create a new firing head. David would go back and build it, and then we'd go back and apply it to customers' work. And back then, TCP was in its forefront of completion technology. Mm-hmm. I just liked looking at technology in that form and how can I better enhance productivity to make our industry last a lot longer. You know, you bring up such a great point um, that we, we oil and gas, is slow to adapt. And it's a couple different reasons for that. I mean, one, it's it, there was a, there's a lot of technology that works that gets gas out and oil out safely. Uh, there's And what we call technology, being in the oil and gas, is typically equipment. There's a lot of equipment that goes down a hole that would make, you know, even a, an astronaut, you know, blush because there's some pretty cool stuff going down. 35,000 feet, pretty cool technology. But, you know, now with 
you know, the satellite, the Starlinks and the, the technologies of just pinging things instantly all over the, the drilling rig and, and these off these offsite. One of the things that Richard and I have just been absolutely blown away with is the convergence now of what's on your phone, what's on your laptop, how quickly things can be available instantly, obviously. Um, real-time data to where people, we interviewed a guy and he was talking about doing stuff, you know, from his home, you know, logging on a real-time job actively better than they could if they were out on the site. And, you know, I hear this kind of stuff and like that is that there's safety there. There's, you know, better quality of living for the employees. Uh, economics go down. I mean, there's, and you just realize like the, the digital technology or whatever you want to say, this type of technology is now able to be implemented into oil and gas like never before. And it seems like the, maybe the audience is the wrong word, the, um, the, the oil field is ripe and they're ready for it. I mean, are you seeing now, obviously three and a half years into this, are you seeing a, an oil field that's finally like, yes, we're very interested, or are you getting pushback? I mean, where, what kind of world are you walking into today that, that you maybe didn't see 20 or, 20 or uh, 25 years ago? So that's a really big question. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll answer it the, the first at the latter part of what you just described. Uh, it's, it's still a challenge to get people to change, unfortunately. They're set in their ways. They want to do it. They, they, there's no need to be forced to change, and they don't want to change, okay. unfortunately. Uh, I wish I could say it differently, but, but it, it, it's the reality I deal with. I, I can honestly say I've presented to three or 400 different clients around the world in the last three and a half years. I mean, a, a lot, personally. And the resistance of departments to say, I want to adopt or adapt something like that is much greater uh, I've got 20, I've got 30 plus clients globally mm -hmm. right now, and we have lots of contracts and things we're in the process of closing. But if you take that to the number I presented to, that's a small percentage of adoption, unfortunately. So that just as a, as a percentage mm -hmm. case is not as high as I'd like it to be. It's still, it, it's still growing and good and you're, you're gaining momentum because nothing happens overnight. It's just not adopting as fast as you, I, I'd like it to happen or see it happen. You know, but it's, I mean, you're, you're, one of the things you said is you presented these. You have it's a 10% close rate in the last couple of years by 330. It's it feels though that okay. Well, I, I will agree that you know the numbers aren't there, but but what I'm seeing is and because you mentioned off offline that you're one of your pet peeves was people that are slow to adopt. Right. Are are you still seeing that? I mean, I just feel like the people that are slow to adopt now are they, there's no room for that anymore. That's what I feel like. <laughs> I, I wish, I, I truly wish that was true, yeah. okay? But there isn't a day that goes by that we don't talk about people resistive to change. And, and, and I'm not saying necessarily the IT departments, it's a lot of times to do with the engineering departments, unfortunately. They're happy to use the Aries of the world. And, and for those of you who don't know, yeah. as a reservoir, it's, it's a ubiquitous North America software economics package, mm -hmm. reservoir economics package, and it's ubiquitous. Everybody loves to hate, let's just say Aries, right. but they use it every day because they're accustomed to using it. Now, we can do almost everything other than reserve calculations that it can do, mm -hmm. but they still want to keep using that technology because that's what they have. That's where their databases are. That's where they grew up on. And unfortunately, that's just one of many, many, many examples okay. I could give you, unfortunately. 
but we're seeing we're, we're seeing some gradual change. We talked about the younger generation coming in who want to start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And when we present to some of the, uh, and I don't I don't say age is the answer, no, yeah, I know. but it is no, it is sure. the younger. You know, I'm not trying to classify that way, but I think the younger generation wants to adopt and adapt to what I've been describing as. Hey, if I can get up in my house, log into Petrovisor or Equivisor, and see everything I need to see that day, and then to help drive a decision, we're saying that's what I want. That's that's really unique versus I got to open this app. I've got to open this database. I've got to go to this accounting package. I've got to get this when it's all brought together. And we're seeing some of that. I mean, but they get pushed down a lot of times saying, wait, we don't want to change the company yet or we yeah. don't want to do that. So so unfortunately, look, it, it's there's pockets. Don't get me wrong. And the, the, the comments you made earlier about comments I'd want to make to the CEOs is you need to take control of your digital cortex and decisions and drive the fact that you can there's a ways to be more efficient i guarantee you that you are right now i can promise you every company i deal with there's a way to be more efficient guaranteed yes and my push to the ceos and coos would be take control of it and make it happen because it can happen every day well there's two things to that one if, if you're not your competition is number number one that's right. gonna, that's going to happen but two, it's also funny to me all the time because you know we talk about different technology, but we're we're presenting to the same the same groups of people, but they're they're not hesitant to use technology in their personal lives. You know, they love doing everything on their phone. And they're like, oh, this is. But then they walk through the door of work, and it's like, no, no, we still want to be in the '90s. We still want to. It's like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you do that? You'll do that there, but you won't do that here, right? It just it it makes me laugh. It. It, it, it makes me disappointed, yeah. it makes me cry, all of the above, all of the above. It's the very nature of the beast of my 38-year career of, of having, you know, you think about crossing the chasm, and, and you all have heard that term many, many, many times, and certain people are ready to jump across immediately, mm-hmm. but it's a 5 to 10% number. I mean, that, that's yes. really where we are, unfortunately. For you to get people to really get that life cycle adoption curve to really start saying, by God, to your point earlier, Richard, if I don't do this, I'm going to get left behind. Yeah. And if I don't do this, I've got to add five more people. And if I don't do this, I'm not able to see what everybody else is seeing. Right. So that evolution's coming. It, 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 like I said, I, I was somewhat naive. I, I will say it, even though I've been in this industry for a long time, I'll fully admit my naivete that I thought people, after everything I read and heard around people really want to truly digitize, I really want to digitize. Yeah. And you hear all the CEOs say it, but in true fact, their idea of digitization wasn't near what's really available to be applied. Now, I have this great point I want to make in my head, but I don't want to leave that. Please expand upon that. What is available to be applied? Well, it, if you think about all the IE in our platform and, and, and other platforms, there's a lot of things that can be applied for to make companies vastly more efficient. Okay, so I, I brought it up earlier around Excel. So most people think running an oil and gas company on Excel uh, is the most efficient way, and I can promise you that's what's occurring. Okay, it, it every company, every company. Every company works runs on excel and 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 i have a a unique story i i I have to i don't want to go too great detail because they'll remember the story but i'll I'll give you a quick story because they'll remember the story (laughs) if if they heard the podcast they remember it's the the most popular i was was sitting i was sitting in a room with the ceo and and his team and i was explaining to him what we did and how everything worked or whatever and i started describing excel and i said you guys run on excel and he stopped me he said peter peter let me let me correct you okay we don't do anything on excel here Everything is done in data models and databases, and we do all that. And 
his lead IT guy said, sorry, I won't mention his name, I have to correct you, but I have 19 different spreadsheets that I use every day to give you what you have to have every other day. <laughs> and if I didn't do them in Excel spreadsheets, you wouldn't get any of your data. You could have heard a pin drop right. in the room. And that's not unusual, No, unfortunately. But the fact that CEOs ask for things, I need this, I want this report. Mm -hmm. And look, I, I, could, I have 30 stories, 40 stories like that. CEOs ask for the report, and what do they do? People go create a model. They go get, create an Excel model. And they'll run different situations. They push it out to Spotfire, they publish it, uh, and then they come back and say, here's the data. Yeah. And they think this just miraculously fell from the sky. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. It was just like somebody pushed a button and he was there. Look at us. Look they how don't good we are. Oh, my God. They don't realize that the, how much work has to AI. go. AI. Yeah. Just right. done. automatic. <laughs> but, but the true fact, it can be that way. Uh, one, one of my counter-favorite stories is one of the companies we work with that has our platform, they were running into a bunch of difficulties, and they, they couldn't find some certain data. And someone said, hey, let's, let's, let's just dive into Petrovisor, they pushed two buttons and all of a sudden, everything they wanted was right there in front of them. The board called, they wanted an answer, they pushed another button, and it was all there. Before, he told me it would have taken four or five days to run all the spreadsheets. They pushed a button and all the data was there systematically. Pretty much, that sealed us for life. I mean, they're being a customer. Siri, it has I mean, to be. It is, and he's like, they used datagration a hundred times in the office, he said, for three days. He said, what have we done if we had, he said, well, we probably couldn't have done it or it had taken five or 10 days, you know, we, and then we'd have to redo it again. And so the, the, the reality is people don't realize until you actually have it. So wait a minute, you're telling me, we just had our own little epiphany moment here. Uh, Lauren is actually our producer. You met mm -hmm. her earlier. She's, she's in the other room. We are using some new softwares and we took one of our processes down from 12 hours to an hour. And we kind of looked at it blown away and like, let's just call it a 10 hour savings. That's a day. That's a day for somebody. And I thought, you know, what are what could that do for a person's life or efficiency? And you know, multiply that times ten people, and then times a month and whatnot. So that was our moment of like, there are some new technologies we're going to be using. So, with in all seriousness, I'm not trying to you know turn this into a commercial, but sure. you're you're mean like that you could push some a button, a couple clicks, obviously with good data, and save four to five days worth of processing and calculations. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about having to build an Excel spreadsheet when you have 1,200, 1,500 wells, 2,000 wells, and you're looking at the royalty per well, you're looking at the variations of production per well, oil, gas, and water production, all the combinations, and tying that to a cost basis or decline basis in totality, and then start doing forward curve estimates of that, that requires a lot of people in multiple applications. That's not right. done in just one application. Mm -hmm. It's done in multiple applications. Right. You've got to probably run it in Aries. You've got to download some of that production data. Then you've got to get accounting data. And how do you match right. all of that to the royalties changes of each one in the systematized way. Plus you take the cost of each one of those wells and tie that back down to a per well basis. We can do that with the push of a button immediately. And it, it, you don't have to push the button. It's already done automatically mm -hmm. every day through LOE, LOS statements that we create, all the way to production operator, which does well by well comparisons on a revenue per well, per day, per basis, per cost, right. and spits that out every day automatically, systematically. And that would take someone to build a spreadsheet and to load that data and to build everything I described, days. By the way, if it saves that much money, the CEO himself will come by and push the button. You should. <laughs> be like, I got it, guys. Don't worry about this. They, 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 they then he'll should. take credit. Look what I did. I hit enter. 
So no, that's that's a fact, and 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 at the risk of being promotional, yes, that's the that's that's a true fact. We have multiple examples like that. What do you mean at the risk of sounding? Have you heard how many times on this podcast <laughs> I've said I'm the best? This is that's the, I've at least three uh, uh, times. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yes, <laughs> I mean that's incredible. It is, it is. It's exciting. I mean, look, this keeps me motivated in the fact that when I can impact, when we yes. can as a company. Uh, the ability for companies to be more successful, produce more oil and gas at a lower cost point. It's something that keeps me driven every day and at the same time frustrates me every day when they don't adopt and adapt to it mm-hmm. to the form that can bring the value that I'm describing. Well, so let me let me talk about something for just a second that I think is really important, sure. actually. Um, because there is, we live in a, in a cool time in the world where social media and technology has never been cooler, right? And there's a lot of stuff that's happening. And there's 22-year-old billionaires that get a lot of attention. And rightfully so, they're doing some incredible things. And, you know, I, I, I do a lot of reading myself and podcast listening. And you and one of the guys I listen to, he's like, you know, we've forgotten that the billionaire that became a billionaire at 65 was the way that it used to happen. It didn't happen at 22, right? It used to happen at 62 or 65 or whatever. And, you know, I think it's, and I don't mean to say this in it, this is actually the way that I was raised is the way I believe truly this is at the core of my belief system. This is it that in many ways, Peter, what you're doing is beyond important to the industry. Like you're not faking excitement. You're not faking passion. This is something where you're saying, I'm going to use all of my experience in this industry to understand this technology because I've also been learning this along the way too because I care about it and I knew I'd need it for a purpose and you called it the 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 chasm or crossing the chasm yes crossing the chasm it's a bridge I mean it's a it's a lot of different you know analogies here and what you're really doing is you're going to actually help save the industry from a bunch of people that have really great ideas but no way to implement this yeah. and and that's really what I'm hearing is like I'm going to help implement this with this technologies pay attention to this because I've got the credibility here. I've got the credibility here and I know how to lead these teams behind. I, I just feel like this is such a, this this is the kind of story that does need to get told a lot. And it's not just your story. I'm, I know there's other people out there and you have a great team. I'd like to hear about the team too, but um, no, this is this is not a, a story that needs, to, are you getting the story out? We're getting out as fast as we can. I mean, you, you, you do it one, one win at a time, you do it one success at a time. You gotta remember we had to have the first customer and close the first customer, which once we got the first one, then the second one, then the third, mm-hmm. and you know, after the, the first year we closed three clients and we were very excited. The next year we clo- closed 17 deals. Mm-hmm. This last year we closed another 12, 14 deals. Uh, so the, the more you get, the more people hear about it. Uh, you know, let's just say success breeds success. Right. Right. And some more people that hear about it. Uh, we've had a couple of recent wins. We, we, we beat, one of the ones I'm really excited about is, is, is something we did in the Middle East where we beat all of our competition, all the majors, in a head-to-head competition on failure predictions around ESPs using machine learning and artificial intelligence. Okay. Now, when you think about how much production is made within an ESP and how many, how many billions of dollars gets thrown at that industry every day to optimize production of an electrosubmersible pump, I'll, I'll, you know, for people who don't know what an ESP is, electrosubmersible pump, around 60% of all the oil, oil or liquids produced in the world go through an ESP. 
people don't realize that. It doesn't just naturally flow. Yeah. It typically flows through an ESP. Well, we, we brought in for a head-to-head competition against, I won't mention all the majors, but all the majors were there. And, and we were lucky to come to the table because they said, we never heard of data integration before, but we want to give you a shot. We said, trust us. We had people who had some reputations. We leveraged reputation and said, let's do it. We brought in the data and we did a head-to-head competition. And we were the only ones who could predict failure out of eight out of, eight out of 50 wells and no one else could do it. We're the only ones who've done it. We just signed a contract with them to roll out this for 400 of the ESPs. And so we're starting to broadcast that. The failure message. in the pumps. The failures in the pumps. So we, we, we could come in essentially, not, you know, trying to go too detailed to the story, but essentially they gave us the data from the wells of 50 different wells uh, over two years. And they said, okay, build a model. Right. And so we use artificial intelligence and machine learning built into it, into our platform. And then they came back and said, here's 50 wells of one year's worth of data. Tell us if any failed and when they failed and give us a time period by which you think they would have failed relative to the data you have. So they already knew when they failed. They already knew the answer. Eight of this, we, we found seven of the eight and the eighth one that we, we identified specifically and said, we don't know if that one failed or not, but we think it could have. There isn't a model that you gave us for that one, but the seven, these seven failed. And we guarantee you, and it happened within 45 days to 30 days. And we got that 88% accurate. They came back and said, we don't, how did you do that? Wow. That, that, that's, that's, that's impossible. No one else got it? No one else got it close. And they direct awarded us this contract. I bet they did. <laughs> and, and said, go ahead and do that. Now, granted, we had to deal with the procurement department or whatever, but at the sure. end of the day, we were direct awarded. We, we literally signed the contract week ago, week and a half ago, and we're moving forward with implementing this on 400 ESPs. Now, this, this, this one field produces 700,000 barrels a day to 400 ESPs. So when you start doing the math of 400 and any one of them going down, what's, what's the dollar value? You know, you brought that up earlier. What's, what's the value savings, Josh? Mm-hmm. Stop having one not fail and be prepared right. to know that it could be occurring and you're ready to change it out. Uh, on a, on a well making 10,000 barrels a day. It's staggering. Yeah. I mean, think about right. how much money we're talking about. The cost we're gonna charge them is negligible compared to the value creation. So to your answer, I wanna amplify this story on a global scale around everyone who has ESPs and the application. So we're talking to two other clients now. Uh, we're talking a lot more, but there's two other clients we have contracts in front of that we think we're gonna roll the same system out for them mm-hmm to do their failures. Another one's in the, uh, Latin America, another one's, in, another one's in the Middle East. One has 1,200, another one has 1,000. You know, so we're, we're yeah. gonna keep those pushing this out. Those yeah. are, those are those real, are real, real dollars. Real dollars. Significant dollars. Yes. So I, I, and those are just, that's one of the many examples of what we try to do to apply the IT side, the data side, all to something that someone's not able to do today currently with the existing technology. Right, and it flow, and the, the key thing is it flows through it flows through the entire you know supply chain, because it optimizes what they have to keep on the shelf, how they order, you know, and then again go go to that supplier. Now now they're getting more accurate forecasts, and they don't have to invest in things that are going to sit on the shelf for months. I mean, it's just yeah. there's a whole knock. The, the Richard, I the agree. Thank you. There's a whole knock on effect right. of exactly that. Not not just the fact that it's going to shut down. They'd have to wait for six months to find that one pump to go in and replace it. And we're talking four or $500,000 
pumps, $600,000 pumps. This is not like $5,000. And and to change those out require rigs, major pull, you know, all kinds of things. So the whole planning process uh, is all. So you're correct. It it is a whole dovetail effect into the value creation. Rich and I are are applying for jobs right now. You'll notice (laughs) we're just trying to- We have openings. It's all good. We understand the product, you know, perfectly. So we're doing well. We, We actually, we did a podcast and the lady was great. And she just kind of made us buy into the company. And at the end of it, I was like, I'd like to work here. This is great. You're so nice. And I love the company. So, no, listen, this, it, the technology side of this thing, as, as you're talking, I'm just like, this is no wonder this podcast is exploding. Really. I mean, just no wonder. Like, you, because you can talk about technologies and metal, and it matters. And you can talk because longevity of the steel product and longevity of this and corrosion resistance, like the things that matter and that submersible pump, like there's a lot of cool thing, cool technologies in there that really do matter. But, and it will make a difference for the life, for the life of that product. But the dollar amounts that you're talking about saving is just, I can't even imagine what that would say versus a longer lasting steel product on a semi-submersible pump. It's, it's not even close. It's not even close. No, no, it, re- it really isn't. And, and look, the, the, the thing that uh, I, I continue to harp on is when you think about uh, how you can apply machine learning and artificial intelligence. And, I, and I'm not talking about necessarily chat GBT or whatever right. when you're writing. I'm talking about the true application of ML, ML.net, and, and how that can be applied to models to help what, what a person can't really predict or understand. Because uh, I've actually had some ESP experts say, well, Peter, I, I could have looked at that data and probably predicted this was going to happen. And, and, and someone with 20, 30 years probably would have sure. done it. But he can't do that with a thousand pumps going on all the time. Exactly. What the system does is say, hey, I'm going to take the smarts that that person has at that one example and apply that to the model and the network to say this is going to occur way ahead of the time in a, in, a, in a better way that someone doesn't have to. And then it creates that alert and says, hey, person who you're expert, i.e. the ESP person expert, this is probably going to be happening. You should probably should go look at this. Whereas before, if he, they don't look at it, is when the failures occur. Correct. And that's what's happening on the, the hundreds of thousands every year, wells that go on all year. Well, and for the recruitment of our industry too, right? Because it took that guy 30 years to get that experience to be able to identify in that data, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You know, For somebody coming, I mean, you, you don't have that kind of time anymore. You yeah, have you, to be able to get in there and, and be able to, to learn these things in, in a much faster way. You, you, you bring up a great point that I was talking to one of our clients about the other day, and, and I, didn't, I didn't think about it to this far, but and we talk about it. We're all getting older. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, I look you, great. When you, think about, when you think about the people in the field uh, who have to go and turn the valve, let's just say turn the valve, and you look at the, let's just use rod pumps. Let's, let's switch to rod pumps. The millions of rod pumps that exist in the world today that, albeit, they don't get real excited because they're only pumping 10 or 20 or 50 barrels a day or whatever. People don't get really excited about it. There's millions of them. Mm-hmm. And if I can improve the production one barrel per rod pump uh, longer and not have it fail or whatever, it's really important. So that's, that's the, the, the starting point. But I have to have someone go look at it 
or check it out mm -hmm. every day because of the mechanical way it, it operates. I gotta get a take. If, if I can begin to retrofit those with the technology I'm describing and the remote nature, and people are getting older, so I can have one person who might be able to manage 10 because he's got to get in his truck or he's, she's got to get his truck and drive to there, where I can have him look at 50 or 100. Think about keeping them off the road. Think about the safety. Think about the people coming who want to look at it on their handheld, the, the younger generation. How do I teach them the, what the 30-year-old had? Well, it's built into the platform. Right. That, that technology is already inherently built in. I don't have to have them have 30 years. Mm -hmm. They can have two or three years or four years, at least to understand what needs to be replaced mm -hmm. or what needs to be modified so it doesn't fail or that I can get that one extra barrel of oil a day. Applying this is gonna be absolutely critical in my opinion because the people who are retiring who won't be able to turn, right. number one. Plus, I was mentioning earlier, a lot of customers are saying, try to find the mature pumper or the person who actually goes and works in the field is getting harder and harder and more expensive. Mm -hmm. And so take all those combination of factors, you're gonna have to adopt something and adapt to something to be able to counter that effect of that, that production that I was just describing, yeah. uh, not the least of which is just to maintain it, let alone to try to improve it. Yeah, Roman's only 12. He won't be here for a couple more years. So we've yeah. got, we need these guys to hang on a little bit longer and before these young guys can come up and train. But I promise you, Roman can wake up and go to Petrovisor and look at it once you teach him what he needs to learn right out of school. Mm -hmm. And he'll start to understand what needs to happen that day that's gonna make the most money for that company that day because that decision and information is pushed out to him and has already been thought through through a model and tells him this is where he and should there's apply. no wasted time. None. And he's, he's saving the safety side. He's not getting out in the snow and he's not getting in all of the bad, harsh environments. And when he has to go to a well, he goes to the right one. He doesn't drive by right. the right one that was the wrong one because he thought that's where he needed to go that day because that was his route. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting and it's great too when you bring mm -hmm. up somebody like, like a Roman, for example, because you know we still can, our industry still continues to get this negative mm -hmm. image, right? It's, it's portrayed everywhere. But this really is, you know, where you can talk to younger people and say, you know, we're making the investments in technology. We are making it safer. It's not the way that you thought it was. It, it, you know, all of the things that we get painted in a negative light for, you know, these are the kinds of things that, that actually have it in a positive light. And we need to get that message out there. It's extremely important because... There is no, it's frustrating because there is no megaphone that's large enough to get the positivity of our industry out there. Look, Richard, I, I, I think you and Josh have probably heard the enthusiasm and excitement I've had for this whole industry. If, if you haven't heard it, then I'm not doing my job very well. But <laughs> I hear it. I, I continue to try to tell everyone that I come in contact with, I don't care where they are, throughout all my travels all over the world is it's the, still the most dynamic and inspiring industry I've ever been in. The application of technology, the uniqueness of what we do, and we still matter. And look, while I have investments and I could talk about renewable power and all the things we love mm -hmm. to do in that space, uh, it's still a long ways away from being fully uh, utilized to the farm that's gonna replace oil and gas, if ever, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And so we have to have the resources and the people and change that negative connotation because it's really counterproductive and kind of counter cyclical to helping our industry, to helping people everyday life. And I think the education around what that barrel of hydrocarbon does, what's that, what's that one MCF a day does for a person's life and how it changes them and how it improves their life, 
we, we can't amplify it loudly enough. Right. I try to do it at every and everything I do. I get accused of being, well, Peter, that's your industry. That's how you make your livelihood. I said, that, that may be the case. I, I can't deny that fact. But the fact is, it's real and it's true. Yeah. Right. I'm not lying to you. I'm not doing it just because that's how I make my money or that's how I've, I've lived that industry. I do it because it's a real, it's real for everybody. It is. Look at, I mean, look at everything from the clothes they wear to the phones that they use to the car. I mean, everything, yeah. right? You, 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 it always goes back to our industry. It does. And, and yeah, you can point to anything to it. And you're right. People do. I, I'm the same way. I'm a huge proponent of our industry. I love it. And it's funny, all the, you know, on the IT side of things, you know, these are people who, you know, they attack things like financial services and, and you know, medical and all these other, and they're like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, you have no idea what cool is. You have no idea what cool is if you give energy and oil and gas a chance mm -hmm. because it's, it's so dynamic and there's so many opportunities there and, you, you know, you just need to open your mind. I, I agree completely. So... We are going to kind of wrap it up here, but I have I have a two I have a question here that I was looking at, and it really reminded me of another question I like to ask. And I re, I just realized I haven't asked this question in quite a long time. It's been a couple of years actually. Sure. Um, one of the questions that I had pre-written here is: Looking back at your career, what do you consider your most significant 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 accomplishment? But I would really like to know if you could look back over your career and go back and talk to yourself. You know, you mentioned, I think, 32 years is what you said? 38. 38. I'm trying to make you. That's right. Thank uh, you. I appreciate you trying to make me younger. <laughs> and I'm actually getting ready to turn 39. So anyway, yes. Over your 30-plus year career, yes. um, what piece of advice would you give yourself, um, your younger self, uh, along the way? Do you Was there something you've told yourself that you would go back and say, hey, do this, don't do this, or pearl of wisdom? Yeah, look, if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably do it the same. Uh, I would tell myself to re always remain conf confident and true in who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, be convicted to everything you're going to do or don't do it. You know, and so I've, I, I tell myself the same thing. Be driven, uh, be passionate, uh, raise your hand, commit, uh, don't do anything halfway. I mean, those are all the things I tell myself, which I live today, mm -hmm. but I tell myself back then, be driven, speak up, don't be afraid to, to make mistakes, uh, dive into things head first, volunteer. You know, all those things is what I tell people and they ask me, how did you get where you are in your career? Those are all the characteristics and attributes that I believe helped me be successful uh, in, in getting where I am today. Well, I thought I was going to end on that, but then you just, as you were talking, I realized there was one more part I wanted to end with. Can you please tell me what growing up in Southern Louisiana, what kind of that core, I, I absolutely love Lafayette, love it. And what, what did that add to your life? So at one of the, one of the things you'll find is uh, growing up in South Louisiana, people are mostly confident. Okay, we, and we get that from the social interaction that we have on a regular basis and the challenge we give to each other to always be better. And so the, the confidence that I have in my ability of not being afraid to do anything or go out, I, I garnered from growing up in that environment and that community, number one. The other thing is just the, the social nature of never having anyone not be a friend unless they prove to you otherwise that they shouldn't be. And so always be open, always be, look, my wife and I have 
friends and family over all the time. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'll say this, and don't take this the wrong way, but a lot of people don't do that. They don't reciprocate. And the reason it is, it's just not in their genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. But it's in our genetic makeup. It was ingrained in us that being social with other people is what life's all about. And that's what Cajun people are. Right. And so I, I get excited about it. Mm -hmm. I always did. And when we're having people over, it's just a big deal. So uh, that's that that's where we grew. And that's where we grew to, to know how we become, uh, what, what I would say is enjoying life and enjoying life with other people. It, and it's so important, even even more so now, because it just seems that, you know, younger generations are just more and more disconnected. You know, they're they're face down in their phone and there's nothing there's nothing more satisfying than personal relationships and developing those and being around people that that you can be yourself around and you can have a good time and you can learn from and just you know, just always continue that path. Couldn't agree more. Well, Mr. Peter Bernard absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast you are truly a friend of just both Richard and I now you're a friend of the program and you know legend status or not just a a real an absolute asset to the industry without any question I can't thank you enough for letting me get on my pulpit somewhat and talk about all the things I'm excited about the industry needs to hear it love love coming here love talking about it as you can tell uh, committed driven and want to see the industry really succeed, grow, and uh, be successful. So, so if you have any more questions, it's datagration datagration.com. Um, look them up online. Look them up on LinkedIn. Um, check us out on all our social media channels, theitcrowdpodcast.com. If you have any other questions, you can. Uh, if you have any negative mail, send that to Richard. Obviously, <laughs> if you have any positive mail, send that to me. And um, that's it. Great job. Yep. Thank you, as always, to our listeners and to our sponsors and uh, helping to get us into the top 1% already. Unbelievable. Yes. Love it. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank Congratulations, you. Peter. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Very much. The It Crowd Podcast is proudly brought to you by the following sponsors. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com. ClearSync Solutions, unifying your technology solutions with simplicity. From M&A integration to global connectivity, cybersecurity to managed services, we're your comprehensive partner aligning your business goals with technology for energy, oil and gas, and financial service firms. Trust our proven track record. ClearSync Solutions. One ClearSync, countless possibilities.